Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ on this Sunday of the Transfiguration. Amen. Last week I had the privilege to do some research for a church member who wanted to know more about the Seventh-day Adventist church and what they believe in in light of our in light, in light of what Lutherans believe. And in the process I revisited the histories of three prominent women in the American religious scene. From left to right, you have Mary Baker Eddy, Ellen G. White, and Amy Semple McPherson. These three women have several things in common. They were born in the 1800s. They came from a Protestant Christian upbringing. And they were the founders of three sects or churches that branched off the main line. Mary Baker Eddy is the founder of the Church of Christ Scientist. Ellen White co-founded the Seventh-day Adventist Church along with her husband James White and another man, Joseph Bates. And Amy Semple McPherson founded the Foursquare Church. You may be thinking, who cares? They're not Lutheran. Why are they in a sermon? Well... (laughs) Because they have another thing in common. They are among the most influential women in the history of our country. And their effects on our society, the Christian church, including us Lutherans, are lasting. Here are just a few examples. Mary Baker Eddy's Christian science healing, or at least her claim to it, affected churches outside her own. Her church was one of the first to pioneer the no medicines or surgery or doctors or psychiatrists or anything like that for its followers, which, you know, carried over into some other cults and groups and sects and things like that. Many people today who have no connection whatsoever with Christian science read the Christian Science Monitor newspaper. And Eddie's teachings that the miracles and creation Uh, in the scriptures where everyday events that can be explained with science is alive and well today among Christians in all denominations. Ellen White authored copious amounts of books on everything from religion, relationships, Christian lifestyle, education, nutrition, including the spiritual and physical benefits of practicing vegetarianism. She's the founder of the Battle Creek Sanitarium, where she hired Joseph Kellogg to be its director. And while he was there, he invented cornflakes as a dietary supplement to the sanitarium's cuisine. Lots of us eat (laughs) cornflakes. So you see how this all works. Lasting effects. If it weren't for Ellen White and her sanitarium, Kellogg might not have been hired and had a reason to invent a dried cereal that you mix with milk to give to patients recovering from all kinds of ailments. If that hadn't happened, Kellogg wouldn't have marketed the cereal to the general public, and there wouldn't have been the cereal wars of the late 19th century, resulting in the myriad of cereals that you can buy today. And Amy McPherson was, in her day, the most influential preacher in America, thanks to her pioneering use of social media, the radio. She was more publicized than any other Protestant Christian preacher of the first half of the 20th century. If you listen to Christian radio programming today, which I know some of you do, 
you can thank her. If you watch television evangelists, which I hope you don't do, <laughs> you can thank her for that as well. The, the Lutheran Hour Radio, Lutheran Hour Ministries, you know, that might have happened without her eventually, okay? But she wrote the playbook for Christian radio presentation. Now, these women weren't without their controversies or their scandals or their critics. Because one more thing these women have in common between the three of them is they claimed to have received prophecies, visions, and performed miraculous healings. So they definitely weren't Lutheran. Okay, not that we don't believe in prophecy, but most of Christianity accepts Malachi as the last Old Testament prophet and the prophecies of Jesus and John in the New Testament to be the final ones that we trust in before the last day. Visions are the same kind of thing. You know, it, it depends on what kind of vision you're talking about here, right? A vision like John received on the island of Patmos or a religious dream where you see something. These things and the messages they contain, they have to be discerned. They're not something that's promised in Scripture to be, to be received by everyone of all generations. And healings. Well, what about healings? Well, we pray for healing all the time. You know, do we not have enough faith? Do we not possess the gift of healing? Some churches would say we don't. But I mean, what, what kind of burden does that place on the Christian? A big, unnecessary one. In light of where we are in Christianity today and how we got here, the transfiguration of Jesus centers us once again on Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, and healer, our great physician. There were prophecies about the transfiguration, and you heard that in the reading from Exodus. Moses anticipated the time when he would reappear with Jesus and Elijah. He, he couldn't quite grasp the full concept yet, but he, he looked forward to it. You hear it in our reading from Exodus. He had a mountaintop experience, Moses did, with God, so that the relationship with God and his people would be strengthened and become deeper and more meaningful so that God would be known and glorified among all the peoples of the world. And there were foreshadowings of the transfiguration in the New Testament as well. God's voice being heard at Jesus' baptism. Almost the exact same words as you heard in the, in the mountain of transfiguration. And then there were the miracles and healings Jesus performed up to the time that he appeared in glory on the hilltop to Peter, James, and John. Now, as on almost every Transfiguration Sunday in the church, that the church celebrates this, on this occasion in the Gospels, the focus tends to be on Peter. Peter, there's Peter. Oh, it's so bright. <laughs> almost every Transfiguration Sunday, we focus on Peter, you know, and, and his excited but off-base reaction to what he saw. And, and I feel like I've preached on it a hundred times even though it's only been 13. <laughs> so I'll just remind us all today that whatever misunderstandings Peter had on that mountain that day, 
they were cleared up at the resurrection. So if you forgot what the misunderstandings were, right, Peter wanted to build these, these tents for the three of them. Well, God still had some revealing to do. The Spirit had some revealing to do with Peter. So he thought that Jesus and Moses and Elijah were equal. So he wanted to build these tents for them. If he'd really grasped Jesus' true divinity along with his humanity, that he is God, he would, have, he would have built a tent for Jesus only and let Moses and Elijah just camp out on the hillside. Something like that, right? That's, that's what we glean from this, this account. But the transfigured and resurrected Christ comes to save them and us. Born fully human on Christmas Day, his divine nature is revealed on the day on that mountain with his friends. And remember that prophet I mentioned earlier, Malachi? The Jews and the scribes and all the peoples of Israel had come to understand from that prophet that Elijah an earlier prophet, would appear when the Messiah came. So it happened. Prophecy fulfilled. Elijah reappeared, if only for a brief minute or two, however long that lasted. And only a few saw it. But many had been baptized by a new Elijah, John the Baptist, who by this time had abruptly ended his ministry. Nevertheless, Jesus confirms for his disciples and us that he truly is the Savior, the Savior of the world who was promised by the prophets of old. He is all we need to look to. There's no looking for him. He finds people. There are no steps to take to reach him, as Ellen White suggests in one of her many books. He's taken the steps to reach you as he has told you in one book, your Bible. I would imagine for many of us, our fathers worked during the day and came home at some point in the evening, at least an hour or more later than we did coming home from school. And even if you didn't grow up with that kind of family context, you still know what I'm talking about when I say, wait till your father gets home. That usually meant that whatever misbehavior or misdeed we had done, whether it was at school that day or when we got home, mom dealt with it her way, but there was more dealing to come with dad. Maybe mom would even choose not to act, and so she left it all up to dad. But usually whatever mom said had its impact Yet dad's authority in the household made even more certain to us when, that when he, did get, when he did get home and we saw him, we would know what's going to happen. I, I remember uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I skipped a week of school. I just didn't go. I was done. Like, I was done with school. Done with it. A freshman. Like, what was I thinking? Like, I can understand doing that when you're like a senior, maybe a junior toward the end of your... No, I was done in my freshman year. So I had forged a letter from my mom, gave it to the school office that, you know, I was sick. Well, they didn't buy it, right? So they called her at work and told her to come into the office. We have something to show you. So she comes home with this letter to me, and she didn't even say a thing. She just hands it to me. And, of course, I, you know, I was caught, right? And my heart just sinks. She didn't even say a thing. She just said, wait till your father gets home. 
I mean, she actually said that cliched line. So I, I knew what was coming. Peter seems to be saying the same kind of thing about the prophetic word of God in his second letter here. And I'll just reread it, okay? For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, that's God the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So here you have Peter mentioned in the Gospels, and he's got his own letter. Mentions the same thing in his letter. But here's what he says. We have something more sure. The prophetic word. The word is more sure than what these guys witnessed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I'm not sure what that is about. I have to look at that. Another day, maybe. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man or woman, as in the cases we just heard. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's as if Peter was saying, there's more revealing to come. Wait till God our Father comes home and he will reveal all. But the difference is when you, when you heard that at home and I heard it at home, the, the difference now being that we have Christ coming is he's, not, he's going to withhold his judgment on us, withhold his wrath and anger that our dads did not, right? <laughs> and, and that is good news, right? That is good news because Jesus came in to step in to intercede and take the sin, take our sin from us so that we would not bear, uh, receive the punishment. We can believe this. We can trust his word. We are forgiven of sin and given life and lots of it for eternity. The Son of God has done it all for us and blesses us with faith to believe in it. So may it be so for you. And may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.